Welcome back to Political, Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Happy New Year, Todd. Hey, Corey. Great to be back. Happy New Year. Yeah, it was a good break. But, you know, our loyal listeners are like, what's taking so long? I know. So that's we, we're I mean, here the, we can't keep the crowds <laughs> waiting any longer. All right. So just before Christmas, Governor Cox took aim at diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Utah's colleges and universities, saying that such initiatives foster divisiveness instead of inclusivity. And in particular, he was taught, he wanted to mention the diversity statements required by faculty or new hires, new candidate candidates uh, for teaching positions. He says, these diversity statements you have to sign to get hired. I think that is awful, bordering on evil. We're forcing people into a political framework before they can even apply for a job with the state. That's close quote. Cox's statement sent the Salt Lake Tribune's team of committed progressive reporters into a tailspin. They wanted so hard and so badly to prove him wrong. They issued multiple articles and so much ink on uh, posts on Twitter. And in the end, it only took seconds of internet searching as uh, Senator Dan McKay pointed out to them, to find postings all over the University of Utah Jobs website, for example, and those of other schools. In every case, the schools are requiring a pros pros prospective teacher, teaching candidate to write an essay or to describe in, other way, in some other way their commitment to DEI and how that candidate will apply their DEI commitment if they get the job. Yeah, here, here's okay. a posting from last September, University of Utah, um, a commitment statement about how you would support and advance university goals related to equity, diversity, and inclusion. That's there you go. Funny. And so if that's not exactly a signing a diversity statement, it's really a distinction without a difference because basically what they're saying is you can't get a teaching job here unless you write this essay or you tell us why. And basically what they're saying is you can't get a job unless you're going to bend the knee and take the DEI loyalty oath. And yeah. let's be honest, they're not really going to even consider your application because at this point they have AI tools that scan for keywords. And if you're not, if you're not using the keywords, they're basically not even going to look at your, your application. So I think Cox is very right to call them out. And I think that what this really actually highlights is the, the bankruptcy and the emptiness of the whole project of trying to force, force feed this because they try to force feed it. And then they try to hide it. Oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. But that's exactly yeah. what they are doing. And I think it's scandalous. And on Friday, so uh, last week, uh, so that would be what, January 5th, um, the president of the University of Utah came out and said, we're going to end that practice. And according to the Salt Lake Tribune, there was no practice for them to end. Ooh, and now people are doubling down saying, well, you don't have to sign the diversity statements like the governor said. You just have to submit one. That's like saying, Corey, if you submit a false resume with your job and you get caught, you could say, what? But 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 I didn't sign my resume. I just <laughs> submitted my. So, I mean, when you submit a diversity statement with your resume and a, and a job application, I mean, so people are, are trying to double down saying the governor was still wrong because you don't have to sign those. Well, I think that's just semantics. It's silly. Okay, so let's say semantically he was wasn't exactly correct. Who cares? The point that yeah. he's trying to get at is these are ridiculous. Basically, what we're saying is you have to you have to commit 
to follow this doctrine, this, yeah. uh, this new religion in order to get a job. And, and at the university of Utah, we know that this is a fact yeah. and it's absolutely prevalent in essentially every university in this country right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, uh, yeah. And I think the governor was right to take this on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and I think that, um, you know, the, the, he, he, I think the University of Utah sees the writing on the, the wall and they're trying to get ahead of it because there's going to be some bills this year um, from several different legislators. I know, I think John Johnson has one. I think there's two coming from the House yeah. side. So we'll see. Yeah, what and they, I mean, he's, I think he even mentioned that it was a directive from the Utah Board of Higher Education. So at least yeah. we do have some like guardians uh, keeping yeah. track. So I want to, anyway, I want to applaud Governor Cox for both saying this and then standing firm and not, not backing off. So. Yeah. And, and look at, I don't know of very many Utahns who don't want to make sure that minorities get an equal uh, leg up on jobs. I, I don't think this is about being anti-minority or anti-black or anything like that. It's, it's just about forcing people to uh, adopt a certain political agenda in order to even apply for a job. I think I just want to make that clear. Well said, well said. And I totally agree. And, and I think it, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who doesn't agree with the fact that we should, we should give all candidates the, the best kind of consideration, regardless of skin color and everything. And, you know, we want everyone to be involved in our society and so forth. We don't want to leave anybody out. And in the past, some folks have been left out and that's wrong. Uh, what we don't think, though, and part of this religion, new religion of DEI is, is in order to, to atone for past wrongs, what we need to do is impose current wrongs. We, we yeah. need to impose new wrongs in order to atone for and make right and to cr create equilibrium for past wrongs. And that's just what and, we, and no one agrees You'll with. hear some liberals saying that this just proves that Governor Cox and Utah Republicans are racist. No, what we're saying is you don't fix racism by imposing racism. You know, you, you don't. So if, 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 if we're going to end racism, that door swings both ways, you, you know, and, and so I, I don't see this as being racist at all. But but, you know, anyways, they would say that's just my blind spot. So. This past week was kind of a just a fun time for those of us who follow Utah politics because it was the filing period and sometime not today Todd but at some point we'll talk about why we have to file when when uh, you know folks have to file when they do let's not get in, into that today but I do want to start with let's let's go through some of these races that are going to be interesting and we're going to have tons of time to cover the federal stuff so I'm going to put that to the side and and I also what I really want to do too is just start with some of the local races that are not that probably are not going to be on everyone's radar, some of the state legislature races, for example. And let's start with your friend Kurt Bramble is being challenged by two former legislators, former Senator Dan Hemmert and Brad Daw. Yes. And there is a persistent rumor out there that current legislator Kevin Stratton may file in that race on uh, Monday, January 8th. Um, the, the, the filing deadline for 2024 election cycle is Monday, January 8th at 5 p.m. So as of this recording, there is one day left. And so one of the questions is, is will 
Kevin Stratton file for that Senate seat. Now, Kurt Bramble has been an extremely effective legislator, uh, but he's been in that position for since 2020. He was elected in 2000, so 20, 24 years, basically. Um, and he's running for another four-year term, as am I. I've been in for exactly half of that. I've been in for 12 years. And so, you know, I um, it's hard to argue, you know, with Kurt Bramble, um, you know, that he's not doing anything because he does a lot and he's extremely effective. I think that the argument will be, you know, he's been in for almost a quarter century, get, give someone else a chance. Now, Dan Himmer um, was in the Senate for a couple of years and he resigned to, um, I think, to run for Congress. And then he was running for Congress and then uh, decided he didn't want to do that. And then he ended up uh, in the governor's cabinet and was a very effective leader of the governor's office of economic opportunity. And um, and he, he decided to leave that position last year. And he's been a in working in government relations since then. Um, and Brad Daw. So in the um, meantime, I guess he moved. That's not that's what I was wondering. He, he did not move. move. He did not move. Oh, the so, new the new boundaries uh, the, changed. The, the districts changed. So yeah. he used to live on the southern tip, I think, of his old district, and now he's on the northern tip of uh, Bramble's district. So I think who replaced Dan Hemmert? Uh, I think it was um, Mike Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. 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 So Dan Hemmert did not move. It, the, the the boundaries moved slightly, just slightly. And they move every 10 years that there's no I, I don't want anybody. There's no conspiracy here. There is no you know, intent to draft him into a different district. It's just population, you know, neighborhoods and subdivisions pop up and we we have to adjust the boundaries every 10 years uh, with the census data. So uh, the rumor mill was going nuts in Utah County that that um, Bramble was going to retire. And I think that's why several people were starting to gear up and. Apparently he, maybe he even there even been he'd even mentioned that he might, um, but obviously he didn't. <laughs> and so I do wonder uh, whether all these guys are going to go through with it or not. I mean, certainly. Yeah, I, um, I'm pretty sure Himmert will go through with it. I, um, I've talked to him. I have not talked to Brad Daw. I like Brad Daw. Let me tell you an interesting dynamic here, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Sorry, Brad, if you're listening. But Brad Dow, uh, you know, he, he lost in a convention race, I think, four years ago to, to Nelson Abbott. And Brad Dow was the guy in the Utah House, you know, um, saying to other his colleagues, don't don't collect signatures, don't collect signatures. And then he had literally one vote that kind of turned um, a prominent conservative group against him. And uh, and he lost at convention because he didn't collect signatures. So I think. I haven't confirmed this, but I think he's filed now to collect signatures, which is, you know, exactly the opposite of what he was telling other House members just five years ago. Well, that so. end is inter interesting, and um, that's popped up in a couple places that I wanted to talk about today, too. The first being, uh, you know, we can talk about the governor's race in, in just a minute, but Phil Lyman, uh -huh. he, he also filed to collect signatures. Very interesting. I did not know that. And 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 um, Trevor Lee filed. And Trevor Lee. So Tre Trevor Lee, obviously, um, Trevor Lee, he beat Steve Handy in the convention last cycle. Um, you know, I probably like Trevor. Uh, probably safe to say more than you do. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I, like, like I like, personally, I like Trevor a lot. So. <laughs> uh, but uh He's being challenged by Daniela Harding, who I've met, but I don't know her. And I'm sure you 
know her very well. So I do. Uh, and, and let me just, just let me just clear up the record here. I, I met Trevor when he joined the legislature last year. He has been nothing but a pleasure to work with in the legislature. He's very, very nice guy and uh, always has a smile on his face, always comes up and shakes my hand or pats me on the back. So there, there is no animosity. Between yeah, that's me. great. That's great to hear. I mean, I'm now, I'm also friends with uh, Danielle Harding. So, so that's going to be a fun race to watch. All right. So that's your neck of the woods. How do you, how do you, how do you um, do that? I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, Tre- Trevor tweeted uh, just a day or two, uh, well, just yesterday about January 6th. And uh, I, I can't quote his tweet because it was a long tweet. But, you know, he's basically saying that l- like Phil Lyman and, and by the way, Phil Lyman and I get along great. We've never had a crossword between us. Um, I will be supporting Governor Cox, but I don't have anything personally against Phil Lyman. He's uh, he's a nice guy and he's kind of fun to be around. Uh, but both Phil and Trevor were kind of tweeting out that January 6th is a fraud. And, you know, uh, I tweeted out that I thought January 6th was horrific <laughs> and that anyone who broke the law, you know, should be prosecuted if they haven't already. So v- very different policy positions on January 6th. But, you know, we, uh, you know, we Republicans were, were a big tent. And, you know, I agree with uh, probably Trevor and Phil on 95 percent, maybe even 96 or 97 percent of the issues. But January 6th is one of the issues that we, we, we don't agree on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that one's probably going to be the most, um, the most interesting in terms of inter-party challenges, I think, because I, I think that uh, there's it's going to be plenty of attention and you know, like the Tribune absolutely freaking hates Trevor. So they're going to, yeah, they're probably going to just hype that race like crazy. Yeah. Um, but another one is uh, Jeff Stenquist. He also has another challenger. This one, Draper City Councilman Cal Roberts. Uh-huh. I don't know too much about him, but obviously um, Carolyn Fippen ran against Jeff last time. So I mean, he's in a he's in a tough district because it's a little bit more you know moderate folks, and he himself is a little more center right than and uh, so uh, that'll be interesting. Any no, you're saying that? that Draper is moderate. Well, it it cut. I mean, Draper and Sandy, like I mean, there's some there's a different mixture of folks i think okay that, yeah i i would say that that's probably fair um so um this i've heard good things about cal i do not know him personally he is on the draper city council something that you may not know is jeff stenquist spent 12 years on the draper city council so mm-hmm. um and you know and he and he's been in office i think since greg hughes left so i think he's been in office six, it'll be six years when this term is over if i'm not mistaken um, and uh, something that I think has helped Jeff Stenquist uh, in the Carolyn Fippen race is I understand that Jeff has coached over a thousand kids in Little League in that Draper area. Wow. And all of their parents, you know, know Jeff Stenquist. Oh, that's awesome. Some of those kids he coached, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago are old enough to vote now as well. And so that that's not I, I don't think he coached them hoping that they would vote for him, you know, in the future. But I that, that will not hurt him. Um, he's a well-beloved uh, little league coach in that community. So yeah. I, I would not count Jeff Stenquist out. And I think we talked about this uh, before, but a lot of people, including Jeff Stenquist, expected him to lose the primary in 2022 and he won. And I, I think he showed some, um, you know, some endurance and versatility there. Um, so I, I wouldn't count him out, but I've heard good things about Cal. So I think that'll be a spirited race. Yeah, that one will be interesting. So then another one. This is for Democrats that I don't really pay attention to, but uh, Rep. Uh, Joel Briscoe in Salt Lake City, he has two challengers, a guy named Grant 
Amjad Miller, who's a, a Palestinian American, a public defender, apparently a lawyer for the, for the public defender's office. And then another one, a guy named Ramon Barthelemy, who's a professor at the university of Utah. Yeah. So, so interesting that they're both males, but maybe, you know, with some ethnicity because, you know, the Democrats in Salt Lake, um, they're, um, all about, you know, checking those diversity boxes and, mm. Joel Briscoe is a white male, you know, in, in a party that is kind of not promoting white, white males. And, you know, interestingly, uh, Brian King and I are friends. We talked about this in prior, prior episodes, but I think one of the reasons why Brian is running for governor is he was being challenged by a, a, mm-hmm. a, a prominent Asian female candidate. And I don't know that Brian was, you know, confident that that he would um, be able to get through uh, a Democratic primary. Oh, that's interesting. Her. Yeah. Uh, whereas running for governor, he's not likely to win, um, but it also gives him kind of a, a an exit strategy from the legislature. Now, that's just my theory. He hasn't told me, you know, that. But, um, you know, I, I do think if, you know, you're a white male in the, you know, in the Salt Lake Democratic race um, and you're being challenged by a minority, I, I think that that's going to be interesting to watch. And Andrew Stoddard, um, I don't think has, he's another white male Democrat in, in the house. I don't think he's had uh, a challenger yet, but you know, Nate Bluen and Andrew Stoddard and Joel Briscoe, I think they're all vulnerable. If the right, I'm saying that the, the Democrat of, you know, of choice, who runs against them. I think they're, they could all be vulnerable in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we saw that last cycle, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting his name, but he Derek was, Kitchen. yeah, Kitchen, Derek. who was gay, but he didn't have as many, as many, uh, identity points as the, his challenger who had a trans son, <laughs> trans child. Yeah. And, uh, Jen Plum. And, you know, it, it was really interesting since you bring that up, Jen Plum. And, she, and by the way, she's been great. She's had one session and she's well-liked and well-respected by her Democratic colleagues and her Republican colleagues, like many Democrats are, you know, I'll put Karen Maine in that same category and Luz Escamilla, quite frankly. I mean, you know, obviously they're liberal. We don't agree on everything, but we like them and, and we understand they're Democrats and we're Republicans, but we, we agree on, you know, 90% or 95% of the issues that come before the state legislature. But Jen Plum's main argument against Derek Kitchen was, he had been up there for four years and he had been completely ineffective and he wasn't passing any bills and he wasn't making life any better for his constituents. And interestingly, you know, Nate Bluen, you know, beat Gene Davis that same cycle and Nate didn't pass any bills last year. We'll see what the, this session brings for him. But I think, you know, it's, it's very possible that, you know, Senator Bluen, you know, may be facing a similar attack. Uh, He's not up for two more years. So. He's he's created a presence on uh, on Twitter. He's he's basically Utah's AOC. So yes, he's yes. got that going for him, I guess. And and he really likes the attention that it's getting him. But Derek Kitchen got a lot of attention and and couldn't get reelected. So that that'll be a race to watch in two years. Good stuff. All right, a few more. So um, newly elected Senator Heidi Baldry in my district here in Lehigh, Saratoga, Eagle Mountain. Uh, she already has a challenger, Emily Lockhart, who ran in the in the special election. Um, Emily did not do well with the delegates, basically was kind of belly flopped, but she's going to collect signatures. And and I think another candidate that ran, Garrett Cammons, is very likely to get in and, collect, and, um, and go for signatures as well. 
And so that's going to be up in the air. I mean, I don't, I don't really necessarily think that Heidi has a leg up on these guys. So um, no, and em- Emily, I think uh, in a primary could be very um, effective because she has the story that her mother was the first speaker of the Utah House and passed away at the tender age of forty-six, and that you know, I have not talked to Emily. I, I know Emily from when she was a child. In fact, she was an intern for her mother during my very first session in twenty twelve in the Utah Legislature. And if she leans on her mother and her father's contacts, I think she'll be able to raise a lot of money. Excuse me, sorry. I think that'll be the real key because I, I don't know that she's the right match for the district. Um, like just not a lot of experience and also not a lot of uh, her, her views. Didn't, I mean, the reason she didn't do well with the delegates is her views are just not the same as those who, uh, the folks around Yeah, her. But I, I do think that raising money, I mean, that's, that's going to be the real key. Um, yeah. Because that's where I think Heidi is going to struggle. So, um, well, and she's an incumbent now. So, I mean, I'm sure that the Senate Majority Caucus will help Heidi to a certain extent. And um, it'll be easier for her to raise money as an incumbent than it would have been last fall when she was just one of 10 or 12 candidates. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So then a couple more that I just wanted to mention. Uh, Representative Cheryl Acton, she's, she's challenged by Kathy Richardson, who I think is on the on the state central committee. She should be able to win that, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a real race. Definitely in the, in the, I thought a Republican had filed against Candace Perucci. I mean, Cheryl Acton is one of the, you know, the more conservative members of the house. So it's going to be hard to run at her from the right is all I'm trying to say. Um, so I don't know her opponent. Um, I say I don't know much about her, really anything. I think she's on the SEC, but that's and then in the in the neighboring uh, house district, Jay Cobb is retiring. And it looks so far there's only one Republican, uh, Doug Fiafia, who I met uh on Saturday. Seems like a great guy. I actually went to high school with his older brother, so uh I think I'm just naturally gonna be a fan. So we'll see if anyone else um uh, files as a Republican yeah. there. He may he may see- just get it. Jay's a really sharp guy. He actually, I think he's general counsel for Melaleuca. So he's like working for an Idaho based company, but living in, you know, the Salt Lake area. And um, he kind of stuck his neck out on vouchers and it kind of backfired on him. And um, I noticed when um, Mike Schultz um, uh, released a few minor changes to the committee assignments um, Jay was reassigned to social services from the committee he had been on. And I will tell you that social services, some people view that as uh, a, a demotion. Now I've been on social services for 12 sessions by choice. I've stayed on that, but it's, it's a less desirable committee. Let's be, let me put it that way because it's, it's a lot of hard work and, um, and it, it meets twice as often as any other appropriations committee. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. so I, many people perceive that as, um, um, house leadership kind of maybe punishing Jacob. Um, so uh, I, I think him not running for reelection is probably a smart move for him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the last one, just to mention um, Senator Dan Thatcher announced that he's going to run for Salt Lake County council in uh, Dave uh, Alvord's seat. And yes. I don't think Dave has, has said for sure that he's not running, but I think that he's probably not, but um that's a fascinating turn of events. So, so, and I want to just be clear, um, Dan Thatcher was just elected to the reelected the Senate, you know, uh, a year, a year ago well, in 2022 for a four year term. 
So if Thatcher, uh, he does not have to, and he will not resign his seat. So if he loses the race for Salt Lake County Council, he would remain in the Senate, you know, for until 2026. If he wins the race for Salt Lake County Council, he would have to resign from the Senate because he, he would not be able to do both. And I looked it up. Um, the salary for a Salt Lake County Council member is over twice as much as the salary for a legislator. Uh, I don't I'm not saying that's why Dan's running, but it's um, it's a more it's a better paid position because, you know, the legislature is full time six weeks a year and then part time the other, you know, 10. Months. Oh, so even yeah, even that part time position it pays twice as much. Yeah. Well, Salt Lake County Council is a little bit less part time than the Utah legislature. Let me put it that way. Yeah, but yeah, it pays like forty six thousand a year. Legislature is about half of that. So one more reason, Utah County listeners, we're not going to vote for a county uh, county well, mayor. Yeah, and there's there's council. what nine? Just there's seven ridiculous. or nine of them. And then they have staff that make two hundred k each. Yeah. Well, I think their staff makes less than that, but if you add them all up, it's well over two hundred k. So. I, we're gonna to have to go back and look at that because I think one okay. at least one does because that that was a that was a big and issue. that's probably with benefits like with health yeah insurance, yeah yeah right. yeah that's, that's probably right. that stuff. yeah okay so um, maybe we'll just end it there because we can well let's talk about the attorney general race real quick we've already talked about uh, Derek Brown so a couple others that have jumped in uh, Frank Mylar he's an attorney and he's run before he's run before for AG and maybe for Congress. Okay, so so he filed for AG, and uh, so yeah. he's an attorney in Salt Lake. He represents counties. It, it seems to me he must be representing them on m maybe their uh, police forces and stuff like that. I, I'm not really sure. He does. He kind of uh, markets himself as a constitutional law attorney. So he he does, um, and he's been around for a while. I, I know Frank. He's a good guy. Very conservative. Okay, and then Rachel Terry. Uh, she's the current director of the Utah Division of Risk Management. She used to also work in the, the AG's office as an assistant attorney general. I, I, I met her when I was helping on the, out on the convention last, whenever that was, last cycle. And she was also helping out. So that's about all I know about her. Rachel's a friend of mine. Um, she, she's, a, she's a formidable candidate. I think, um, I think most political, politicos like me, think that Derek Brown's probably the front runner, but I would not count Rachel Terry out. So good. All right. And then finally for, for governor, we've already talked about Cox. We've already talked about Phil Lyman, but Carson Jorgensen, former, uh, former chair of the Utah Republican party. He's jumped in. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that topic? You know, um, I I was surprised when Carson was elected as chairman of the Utah Republican Party. I was supporting Stuart Pay uh, at the time, and Stuart Pay is now filed for John Curtis's seat. I really like Stuart Pay. Mike Kennedy's also going to jump in that race. So I got to know Carson, and and I like Carson. He's he's a nice person. I think he's well intentioned. Um, I, I I don't know anything about his background that would prepare him to be governor of a state and in charge of a $27 billion judgment. So I, I think he's a nice person. I think he's, he's, he's way out of his league. Um, I mean, yes, he was chair of the Utah State Republican Party for two years, but I, if, he, if he were to hypothetically win as governor, I think every day would be like, wow, 
because I, I think that there is so much he doesn't know about being governor. And I think that'd be true for any governor, but I think it'd be especially true for Carson Jorgensen. So I'm, I'm trying to be polite, but I, I, I don't see anything, you know, and he also ran against Chris Stewart four years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's where but, that's where I got my first impressions of him. So it's not clear to me what his job is actually. So he he helps on his dad's sheep farm. That's I can't imagine that he that feeds a family. So what's his job? Do you know? I know he has a podcast. I, I think the sheep farm is his job, but I I don't know. Okay, he's a great guy. I, I just don't see. Um, you know, if you were interviewing C- CEOs to run the state of Utah, I don't think he would make the cut for the interview. Is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right, good enough. We'll we'll talk right. about the federal stuff uh, maybe next time or maybe in the maybe the time after. You're going to start your legislative session, and we, a week from Tuesday, the 16th. Perfect. So um, okay, so then maybe next week we'll have like a little pre-legislative and uh, and talk a little bit about who filed for federal, see if there's any changes for the state. But then uh, over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of guests on state legislators throughout the session. And I hope to we can do that this time. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Thanks, Corey. Good to All be right. back. Thanks, bud. See you. Thanks. Bye bye.